0: This is the Post-Shift Podcast, a world look at the hospitality industry. Hey there, Post-Shifters, and welcome to another episode of the Post-Shift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, I am coming very, 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 very close to my 100th episode um, since starting the Post-Shift Podcast just a little bit over a year ago. Uh, I keep getting these notifications on social media saying, hey, this was a year ago, and hey, this was a year ago. So I'm completely and 100% grateful. The fact that I've been able to do this for 100 fucking episodes is kind of insane, Um so this week I get to sit down with a very good friend uh, and I would class her as one of my biggest wine mentors in my life. Uh, I always have her voice in my head if you listen to the podcast all the way through um, about um, making wine decisions, what would Treve do? Um, so uh, she's sort of always been my Jiminy Cricket when it comes to writing wine lists. And so this is with Treve Ring, who is a fantastic, phenomenally super talented wine writer and wine expert who um, travels all over the world and drinks great wine and writes great articles and her, she gave me so many surprises in this article and I've known her for almost 15 years, which was always refreshing. Um, for these interviews, I never really do any sort of research for people. So when I'm actually talking to people and asking them questions, sort of seeing where the podcast sort of goes and lies, uh, I usually get caught off guard and surprised, which is fantastic because... That's really what it's all about. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Um, episode number 100 is next week. Um, we're going to have Jeffrey Morgenthaler, Morgan, aka the Morgan Blogger, uh, on the show. Uh, I'm super freaking stoked that uh, he's a good friend of mine and an opportunity to actually sit down and like get in his brain because he is an amazing bartender, presenter, author, everything as well. So that's the 100th episode next week. So thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy this episode and I'll see you next week. Bye. It, that's, for me, that's mind-blowing. How have you not? How, how have you not been on a million podcasts already?
1: because uh, I'm pretty boring. <laughs> I fly under the radar, and I,
0: don't know. I do agree that you fly under the radar. But and I'm pretty boring,
1: and I'm a super geek.
0: Super geeks are what I like to talk to.
1: Mm. Well, uh, then you're in luck. <laughs> <laughs> you look around at my head, or however many maps I have now. I lost count.
0: Yeah, I just, did my, I just finished my CSS.
1: Mm, I saw you got the pin.
0: Yeah, Good and I'm going to do my CSE hopefully this year, which means oh, I have to fly yeah. to Palm Springs. Yeah, what's CSE? Certified Spirits S- Educator. Okay, cool. And there's only two in Canada, I think, right now. Right. And then I'd like to do my WSET 3 at the end of the year 2 with Sharon. Yeah, for sure. But... It's always at the end of the year, and because I took la- end hmm. of last year off for school, I've still got my last term, and they only give those courses at the end of the term. Oh, of course. And they're like, well, you can do a couple at the start of the year, and a couple at the end I'm like, yeah, but i got to do five courses to get my... to keep my GPA and keep on the deans on a roll. Hmm. So I want to finish school... With an average of like 8.7 GPA. Right. And on the Dean's Honor Roll, just because that's me. Yeah. So if I'm gonna finish, I'm gonna finish high. So that's the only thing, is I'm like, every single time I'm gonna finish a whole term of school working mm-hmm. and then W set three as well. I'm like, yeah. I just prefer to do W set three. Yeah. And right. I don't so it's, do it
1: a, it's a great, 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 great course, as you know, yeah. but it, you know, it takes
0: time. Yeah. So have you ever listened to my podcast? Yeah, I have. Really?
1: Yeah, of course. Not a whole thing, but a little bit. <laughs> When you told me about this, and yeah, when there's topics that I'm interested in and people that I know.
0: Well, it's the hard thing. Is I'd, I'd like to, I've been trying to f- spread out the interest base mm-hmm. to like I did Logan from Discovery yep. and checked out their new roastery and stuff, which is just. Insane, they mm. bought the building and completely fitted it out. Cool. It's epic. Good. Um I reached out to Daniela to mm. do Silk Road Teas. Nice. And so just sort of spread it away from Go the bartender side of things. Yeah. yeah. And just and said mainly because uh when I was at Toronto Coxa conference last year I did like thirteen podcasts in two days.
1: Okay. That's great. So, so you have a lot
0: of content. Yeah, you know, it's like four bars. months. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> so have and you- Camper English was a geek too. Camper English is like the ultimate bartender geek. Yeah. Like, who writes a whole book about gin and tonics? And he has a website about Do No Harm, which is all ingredients that bartenders tend to use too much of and are actually quite harmful for people. Oh, okay. Like activated charcoal. Right, right. So, um, and I've wanted to interview you for a while, but you're a hard person to peg down.
1: Well, um, yeah, I I counted up my travel for last year and it was um, was quite a lot. How much? (laughs) It uh, wasn't, not too bad. It was 200 and like 215 days or something like that. 210 days, maybe.
0: That's aggressive. It was good, though. That's a lot. Did you go anywhere new last year that you were really excited about?
1: Go anywhere new. I went to, yeah, Croatia for the first time.
0: How was, and how was Croatian wine?
1: Uh, very cool. Up and coming. I mean, they have a, up and coming, I should say, in a modern way, but they've been making wine for
0: ever. It's like Georgian wine as yeah, well, yeah? Yeah, it's similar, yeah.
1: like a really long history, but to see it try and you know, entering into the modern era.
0: It was cool. Have they tried to change up their grapes and whatnot, or is it still...
1: They do some international grapes, but thankfully they're focusing mostly on uh, indigenous grapes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. ones that you can't pronounce. Um, well, yeah, there's,
0: there's some of that,
1: (laughs) but that's what I look for when I travel to find things that are unique to an area.
0: So how, like, if we're going to take it all the way back, how, what does tree ring number one look like? Like what's issue one? What's the origin story? Where did it all start? Yeah. In the wine industry? Just general. Like, how did you get interested in it?
1: Mm, okay. Um, when I came back from... I did postgrad work from university in London, England, in a totally different field. What the field? Art history. Okay. So I, won a, I was awarded a fellowship to go to an to Christie's auction house. Oh, Wow. And I was really young, and I knew nothing about anything. Landed in London, I was like 20. And... Um, as part of this fellowship, I saw some of the um, wine auctions that was happening in the evening. I'm like, why are these people interested in these dusty old bottles? It's, it makes no sense to me. I knew nothing about wine. And so that stuck with me. When I came back to Canada, um, there's no nothing in the art world I wanted to do in Victoria. and I, So I approached Gary Eat Magazine and I asked him to take me on as a writer because I thought that would be fun. I was used to writing papers. Yeah. I'd written all through, you know, uni and um, I knew nothing about anything and he, and he brought me on as a restaurant reviewer so um, I started reviewing restaurants and really quickly found I was much more interested in what was in the glass and what was on the plate like I knew that people out there in the world drank wine I had no wine background and so I just started reading more and tasting more and I started studying what year was this 2001 hmm, okay 2001, 2002, and so I started taking classes, um, started getting really into it, started doing more studies, um, finally went on and finished my ISG diploma, that was in, so International Sommelier Guild diploma in 2006, and from then on just stopped writing about food altogether because I didn't really enjoy it that much and just focused on wine, <laughs> and all my travels started going to wine regions, and that was just all on my own. It's just self guided travel.
0: And this is all before the internet. Like I try oh, re- yeah. I always try and remind, remind like people when they're listening, like internet wasn't really anything special to like late two no, thousands. I mean, so like if you wanted to learn about something in two thousand and one you were like, go to the bookstore, go to the la- library. Like lots book of
1: stuff. books. I mean, I remember back then in living in London, like I didn't even have a cell phone, you know. <laughs> those those were the times that was. And it doesn't seem that long ago, but yeah, there was very few resources, especially in Victoria. Like we're really lucky that some instructors came over from Vancouver to teach classes mm-hmm. over here, but there was no there was no wine resources. There's no wine education in Victoria, native. So when I was doing my diploma, my sommelier diploma um, through the International Sommelier Guild, I met Sharon McLean. So that's where we f- first met back in 2006, and we've been you know besties, besties ever since. <laughs> And uh, both of us saw the potential for having wine education and wine culture in Victoria and growing that. Because there's other people like us, other geeks. And so I guess way back then is when our company was, you know, the seed for our company, Crew Consultancy, was started. And um, it was just to provide wine education to islanders. And that was really the um, initial push for Vessel as well. Mm -hmm. That's when that seed was planted, well why don't we have a wine store here? Why do I have to go to Vancouver or Seattle to buy wine? Um, so that's where it all started.
0: And there was a lot of, like I think people in BC sometimes always complain about like the government stores and selection and stuff, but like there was a lot of wine available in BC. You just got to know where to look and what the skew is and how to order it and wait for it to show up.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of wine, but unfortunately it's all the same sort of wine.
0: Yeah.
1: And especially back then there were some specialty things for sure. But when you look at what's happening in the world of wine, I mean, this kind of, this province gets really very little. And I've noticed that so much more in the last decade of traveling all around the world, looking at shops, talking to wineries, like what what's out there? What are styles out there? What are people drinking? What are people allowed to buy, able to buy? We are seeing none of that here. A little bit more now. A little bit more, okay? We have some agents that are pushing the envelope a bit. But I think... There's a long way to go.
0: What would you like to see in BC?
1: Oh, just more selection. It's a lot of the same, right? Mm. It's a lot of mediocre, the same stuff. Kind
0: of a middle of the range. Yeah, now it is. Caps
1: Pretty <laughs> much, yeah. There's a lot of the same. But where are all of the like? I remember when the first Pet Nat started coming mm. in the province. It's crazy. Like people had no idea what these wines are. Where are the wines from Georgia? There mm. aren't any. Where are the wines from Croatia? Where are the Where are the wines from New Zealand that aren't Sauvignon Blanc? I mean, there is, there, there those wines do exist. Like, why don't we see them?
0: And the, the Savion Blancs you get from New Zealand mm. all taste like passion fruit and cat pee. Pretty much. <laughs> so tea. that was like mid-2000s. Like, when did you really get deep into, like, writing and traveling? Because I've known you since maybe, about that time, actually. Yeah. I think we met in 2006, two thousand seven when I first came to Canada. Yeah. And you weren't traveling too crazy then.
1: No, I... But in the
0: last, like, five years...
1: Yeah, it, um, you know, I had a couple of kids at the, in 2008, 2009, so I was traveling a little bit less around then, and it wasn't around until maybe 2010, uh, when my youngest was around a year old, that I needed to get, <laughs> I needed to move, and I saw, and I think you did as well, that there wasn't a possibility to have a full-time career in this industry very easily living where we do. Um, I mean, for myself, being a freelance wine writer, there's not a lot of opportunity. Uh, Vancouver, you know, there's a couple newspapers that have long-time colonists. Um, They're not going to change anytime soon. There's not a magazine industry here to support that. And as you mentioned, like the web was starting out. So I saw a lot of potential for things based outside of this area. I never, ever wanted to be tied to Vancouver Island or British Columbia or Canada. And I'm happy to be an expert in the wines of this area, like I'm very fortunate, Mm -hmm. but I do not want to be pigeonholed as being a Canadian wine expert. Person. Yeah, person. So um, now I'm a traveler, so I just want to go and travel and learn as much as I could. Um, So yeah, early 2010, 2011, 2012, I guess is when it really started. And the more that you're out there traveling and meeting people, the more connections you make. Meeting with editors, meeting with other writers, meeting with vineyards, and it just all happened really, really naturally. That I started getting gigs um, to talk and to write for publications outside of Canada. So I'd say now most of my writing is outside of this country, for either you know websites or um, newspapers or magazines based in the UK, um, US. Just not here, <laughs> which is which is great. I mean, wine is a global industry, and I, I've always wanted to be global. I, mm-hmm. I never wanted to be limited.
0: I think you you, you need to be degree. To I think for me, the last six months, everybody's sort of been like, "Well, you're we coming back to Victoria and BC Spirits and all this sort of stuff." So I did think I'm pigeonholing myself. I'm like, no, I've got other things in the go that don't really keep me in Victoria. And we're lucky. Victoria's a great home base, right? It's an amazing place to raise but kids. But you're, you're a half-hour flight to Seattle. Yeah, a which five... is kind of
1: expensive also. A <laughs> yeah. well,
0: five-hour flight to Toronto cost yeah. you the same amount. I think I flew to Toronto just after I got back from Singapore, and my flight to Toronto was the same price yep, for sure. as me flying to Singapore. Easy. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, is, it is true. It is a commitment to live here. I mean, we're very lucky to live here. I love it. Um, I do love it, but I could not be here all the time in my industry. Like I just, there's no, there's zero possible way. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm really fortunate that I have the the freedom to be able to travel. I mean, most of, I'd say 90% of my trips are just self, self-directed, self self-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a wine judge, international wine judge around the world. So when I'm asked to go judge someplace, I'll often tie on trips around that um, and just think about things that i don't know about and go and geek out about them and learn
0: so what for 2020 what are your big what are your big trips have you planned out 2020 or is Hmm. it still rolling
1: (laughs) it's still rolling i mean i was looking at when i might have gaps because there's some things i need to do i need to return to champagne because that's a major focus of mine Um, and i'm looking at where there's a gap in the calendar um, for that, and right now, maybe in August, or you know, maybe more like September, October, things fill up pretty quickly. Why champagne? Oh, I just I've always been drawn to champagne, I love the story, um, I love the wines, of course. But what I really love is to find these small producers, small growers. You know, you know me and mm-hmm. Grower Champagne, we go back a long way with this, and um, champagne is not just a commodity project. Mm-hmm. Product it is incredibly terroir driven, and um, I just love investigating it.
0: And I love the process. I You're believe- literally the reason why I try and only drink grower champagne oh, a- because that was back from Little Jumbo, yeah. and you were like, "No, you can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there a few things when I sent my first wine list over from Little Jumbo that you are like, "So what are you thinking? You yeah. can't. You, no, you can't do that." Yeah. And I, even then, like going to Singapore and writing a really big list in Singapore, um, I got a lot of grower champagnes. And I got one really small little Negotiant house, which is and great. Though. My clients were just like, "But where's the vuv? Where's this? Where's that?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Trust me, taste this. Crack, crack a bowl of this, and you're going to love this way, way more." Yeah. And in Singapore, it's a very interesting drinking culture. Oh,
1: I bet. Yeah, completely different. And there are there are a place for those big houses mm-hmm. for sure. But when you have the choice to support people with oh, yeah. your dollars in your buying dollars, um, I always want to try and support the small producers
0: or well, some of these smaller growers in Singapore is very odd for when it comes to selection and game stuff mm. huge selection um, some of the, the grower champagnes were 15-20 bucks cheaper yeah. a bottle yeah for sure That like FUF, FUF gave you massive deals though of course
1: <laughs> I mean the, the marketing machine behind big champagne houses that, that costs a lot of money mm-hmm. too right so a lot of what you pay for in those bottles is
0: packaging marketing packaging all the you know <laughs> all the gear all the all the swag the Flicko Buckets cost sunny from somewhere. Yeah,
1: that's true. That color. That pan, they have their own Pantone color.
0: <laughs> so what's uh, outside of Champagne, what's the other big trip this year that you're looking forward to?
1: Oh, I, uh, let's see. I haven't been to Austria. I'm going to be in Austria a couple of oh, times wow. this year, so that'll be good. It's just I haven't been able to connect with my schedule. Um, I've been going to South Africa every year to, to study there, so hopefully be back there at some point in the fall.
0: Outside um, of shit, like, just stopping on South Africa, yeah. outside of like your Chinon Blanc and your Penetage, what uh, what sort of moves are they making? So
1: much going so much? on there, man. It's amazing. The old, um, the recovery of old vineyards, old bush vines that have been um, destroyed or neglected. Um, people doing such interesting things in a very natural way. And the average age for a winemaker in South Africa right now, I'd say, is 30. Oh, wow. So it's incredibly young, diverse, exciting time. I mean, that country is, I think, making some of the most incredible wines on the planet right now just because they have the freedom to do that.
0: How old old are the vines? Some of the vines up to 100 years old. Really? Yeah. So they've got the vine stock to do some really dynamic wines without all the old fuddy-duddy, this is the way we do things. Yeah,
1: because the South African wine industry really, I mean, it's been going on for hundreds of years, right? But it's only been since apartheid Mm -hmm. that it's been able to be free. So they're almost like, a brand new wine industry, right? For the first time, winemakers can leave the country and go and learn and people can come into the country. Mm-hmm. So in the last 20 years, everything's changed.
0: But with the foundation of 100-year-old vines exactly. at your disposal, oh, wow. Exactly. That does sound and like wine. And
1: winemaking, you know, in families, that goes back generations. So, I mean, here on the counter, I've got four single vineyard sansos from different areas in South Africa. I mean, that's what I've been tasting through. That's pretty cool.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So that's that's an exciting region. Um, Portugal is another really, really up and coming region. F- I mean, that has a very long history, but the wines and the scene there are uh, incredibly exciting right now. Um, so I'll be heading back there shortly. The history
0: that's like I was in Lisbon last year. Yeah. And like the bar, that I was staying up in the building, and the, the building was 700 years old. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's three times older than Australia. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. And, it's, and my friend's bar is in the old cobbler, used to be yeah. a cobbler. And so it's only eight seats. Mm-hmm. It's twenty square feet, and he has four hundred bottles of alcohol in the back bar in this twenty square foot space. Amazing. It's insane. Yeah. And the history, like you uh, coming from Australia, and I think being even being in Canada, we just don't have that that level of history in any way, shape, no. or form.
1: No, no, we don't. So going to explore those things firsthand um, and share those stories. I mean, that that is exciting to me. I love. I love it.
0: So you mentioned PetNet earlier mm-hmm. and in my little sphere of social media I'm sure you get it as well like there's a love-hate thing for pet that right now
1: because it, it's it, ha- it was very trendy right mm-hmm. and people love to hate things that are trendy and when something is trendy it's often made also, poorly. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people jump on the bandwagon, I'm going to make a pet net, I'm going to make a pet net. Same with natural wine. I'm going to make natural wine, I can make natural wine. And when you have a lot of people trying to do it just to make money and be trendy, it's going to be a shitty result. So, unfortunately, same with natural wine, it went through this phase of being really, really derided. And like a lot of them were really, really flawed. Um, same with pet nets. But the market has a way of working those people out. Mm-hmm. There's only going to be so many times you can fool wine drinkers hipsters or not you know with <laughs> with shitty wine
0: for listeners what's your definition of pet Nat as an expert
1: uh okay pet Nat method ancestral sparkling mm-hmm. wine it was the first way that sparkling wine was made um and basically while the wine is still fermenting you put it in a bottle and you put a crown cap on it um nowadays crown cap and so those bubbles that would normally be released in fermentation mm-hmm. are stuck inside the bottle so every little bottle is its own little... Ecosystem. Yeah, its yep. own little fermenting ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's a lot wilder and more natural. That's how wine was a sparkling wine initially was made. So while it's doing this little bloop, 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 ferment, just stick a, stick a cap on it. And so for modern petnats, some of them are, most of them are filtered before they're sent mm-hmm. out to market, so they're not cloudy. But I mean, got one over on the table right there that's still <laughs> unfiltered, cloudy petnat. Um... But yeah,
0: so... So I'm guessing you love good ones and hate the bad ones? You
1: know, I love all good wine, and yeah. I really don't like shitty wine. So, I mean, <laughs> Pet Nats um, included in that. I mean, it's the same in any category. You know, people say, oh, what's your favorite wine? You know, you're whatever, wine expert, what's your favorite wine? And I don't really, I can't, mm-hmm. I, I don't have one. I like well-made wine. I like wine that comes from a place.
0: Mm-hmm. I and know. people. And
1: from yeah. people. I mean, that's what it's about. It's an agricultural product. And um, it does not need to be loaded with chemicals. It's the same thing as food. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite food? I don't know, but it's not going to come out of like a bag of crisps, right? It's it's (laughs) going to be something that somebody grew and made
0: and raised. I get that a lot. What's your favorite cocktail? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't make cocktails at home. I don't
1: drink wine at home. (laughs) It's it's true. It's
0: whiskey and beer most of the time.
1: I, I do enjoy a cocktail or two at home, but no, I... I taste wine every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I taste thousands and thousands of wines a year, and it's my job, and I love it. But at the end of the day, I'm not, not going to drink wine. wine. There's yeah. uh, no.
0: Do you never. actually like <laughs> going to that? Like, do you actually like go out and enjoy a glass of wine with dinner and stuff? Or like when you say like because you, you taste so yeah. much wine, do you? Like,
1: I go out and I will order wine mm-hmm. if I'm with wine people for sure. But it, it's never totally relaxing exercise mm-hmm. because I'm always thinking, oh, okay, this vintage versus this mm-hmm. vintage, and this producer, and this, and this, this cuvee, and this, and how's it going to taste? And like, I, it's it's hard, it's impossible
0: to, to tune that yeah. off.
1: I mean, I, I I love that I geek out that much, but um, I don't go out and drink wine for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I wouldn't say that. Um, yeah, no, it's an intellectual thing for me for sure.
0: And just as soon as you taste something, it just plugs it in. It's like, oh yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then all a of a sudden you're yeah, like, I, got, I really got to write that down. When and I,
1: get I do. Home. <laughs> right? I'm at a restaurant and I'm always writing tasting notes. I have like books and books and books around. Really? Yeah, for sure. Because wow. you never know when you're going to need that note. Yeah. You never know when you're going to need it for a story or if I'm presenting, I need to reference a wine. I, yeah, lots of tasting it's notes. the one
0: thing that I got to get into this year when I travel a little bit more is that like taking notes when I'm at a bar because. You go out on a tear after a conference, mm. and you, well, you've been to wine conferences. You start tasting at eight o'clock in the yep. morning, and you go all the way through to two o'clock the next morning, and then you want to remember, try and remember that one cocktail from that one bar, and you're yeah. like, man, I gotta start taking notes. Notebooks
1: are everything for sure. If you can read your own writing after <laughs> like you know twelve hours tasting.
0: Oh yeah, I've done a, I've done a few. Be like Sol's Solomon's my like Jiminy Cricket when we go to big conferences mm. so he's always like never finish a drink Yeah, that's his rule taste yeah. it never finish it
1: Yeah. well see for you guys I would think it'd be a lot harder because in my industry it is common practice to spit right it's, like you spit yeah. all day long yeah. and even when you go to a big wine dinner as a journalist um, you know I will taste through everything and spit mm-hmm. and then you know have some wine with my meal mm-hmm. if I want to but uh, you, you there's you cannot drink like, yeah. you know, it's, it's,
0: you would die. I've done, I've done a couple of spirit <laughs> judgings and you can get caught out really quickly. Oh yeah. You know, really, really quickly. Even if you're just like sipping and spitting and then swallowing like five mils and then you're like, Oh, well I just did 40 tastes or 60 tastes. And you're like, okay, well I just drank a bottle totally. of 40% alcohol.
1: Exactly. <laughs> while you're sitting here doing nothing else. Yeah. And they say like when you're wine judging, um, and you're spitting all day long, right? So maybe from whatever, nine to five, you're mm-hmm. tasting, you know, 150 wines, whatever. Numerous times, but you're spitting all day long. The research has shown that you're losing three liters of liquid from your body in spit, in saliva. Like, that is a lot to dehydrate yourself with while you're putting alcohol into your system. Like, it is...
0: it's um, That's a good fact, I want to know. I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah, you're spitting. You're just dehydrating yourself. And three liters of fluid is a lot. so... It's important to drink water too. <laughs>
0: so, um, you sent me an email about uh, the relaunch of.
1: Yeah, Wine Anorak. Yeah, yeah so Wine Anorak, um, based in the UK, uh, it's one of the world's largest, I'd say it's the world's largest wine blog. Mm-hmm. Um, Self produced, independent, it's not tied to anyone. And it's founded and started by one fellow, Dr. Jamie Good, super geek. Like, an anorak, for those that don't know, is a UK term for a geek. Mm. A really big geek Because train anoraks Used to stand outside and watch For the trains to go by Train spotting, right? <laughs> yes. We've all seen that movie So they would wear this anorak Because it's shitty weather in, in the UK Waiting for the trains to come by And so an anorak is a super geek And Good and I are both super geeks And so, um, yeah, we met I don't know a number of years ago When he was judging in Canada And we got on well And we taste very similarly And quickly and we're both big travelers. So we've done some projects together over the years, traveled together, made some videos. And uh, he just asked me last year if I would come on um, to his site and be a contributor. And um, and I said, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Because it's more of what I want to do um, be global mm-hmm. and have, have an outlet to write what I want Whatever to do, you want. when I want to. Yeah. Um, it's a huge honor to have a, a voice like this and to be able to to do this. And I want to use it wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to be independent in this industry where so many things are governed by big pocketbooks and advertising dollars, mm-hmm. um, and we're not at all. There's zero percent of that.
0: And when people read it, they can tell it's a propaganda piece.
1: Yeah, people can. I yeah. think. I think. Like I can, yeah, I but can. I don't <laughs> know about you know just the average yeah consumer person maybe not
0: So one thing i, I when i've been pitched like from editors like oh can you write about this i'm like not really i don't really want to talk about cocktails at this certain bar because they pay for advertising in your in your magazine because i don't really rate the cocktails at that bar mm-hmm. or any of the bartenders but mm-hmm. i understand that it's part of the hotel and there's yeah. a lot of money I'm like i can't do it sorry yeah and i've had run-ins and like cuts from certain magazines because of that
1: i mean ghostwriting is one thing and that can be lucrative yeah. right but it's not the type of writing that you want to make a career or i that i want to make a career out of
0: how many so, words a week do you write oh
1: it totally varies it depends on if i'm on deadline for an article i mean some weeks i just write tasting notes because i might mm-hmm. be traveling and don't have time to sit and write a piece um it would be an easier question for me to answer, like, how many wines I taste and write notes <laughs> on a week,
0: but... So you write w- notes on wine, regardless if you're writing a piece about yeah, that wine. Yeah, for sure. So have, basically, you wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. and you go, okay, I've got X amount of wines that have been sent to me or are collected, I'm going to write notes about it. Yep.
1: Yeah, I don't have a limit on, on what, how many notes I do a day, but I, I write, I taste every day, because I, I think mm-hmm. it's really important for your palate also to keep on top of that, like, mm-hmm. to keep it fresh and strong. Um, And I I write tasting notes every day.
0: That's incredible. I didn't know that.
1: Well, I think... um, I don't know if it's incredible. To me, uh, writing tasting notes is relaxing. Because my brain goes into the mode where I'm analyzing a wine. And there's also the unique challenge of putting that in words that people understand. Because writing is incredibly important to me. I was a writer Mm -hmm. first, right? And then I got into wine. So when I read... Say tasting notes or people writing about wine—it's really easy to tell if they're if they're a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing comes first, and I think with my stuff, the writing comes first, and then I just back it up with you know heaps of geeky wine knowledge. But to me, I love the challenge of translating something that is liquid into words, so people that read it understand where it's from, who made it, and and understand why they might like it or not. <laughs>
0: I the reason why I was surprised is because I when people say well my job is drinking which when I tell my wife I'm going out for a meeting she's like why were you at the Drake I'm like I was having a meeting she's like no you weren't you were having a beer I was like no but I was having a meeting about something else mm-hmm. but it it clicks with me now because usually what I do tastings is for a specific purpose. Right. So for me, like, I get a bottle of something and I'm doing it for an end goal. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people out there that taste for that reason. Right. There's an, end, there's an article or I've got to do something It's a, a means to an end. Yeah. Whereas I never even thought about, like, the actual, like, realism of yours of actually waking up and going, okay, i got to taste eight whites today. Yeah,
1: and that's a light day. <laughs> I mean, my articles, oftentimes, you know, editors will say, okay, pitch to me something, what's what's going on, what's new? Mm-hmm. And I'll think about, okay, well, you know, I've just tasted a whole bunch of interesting Portuguese whites over the last six months. I'm seeing trends here, I'm seeing this is quite interesting, let's pitch an article about that. You know, um,
0: And you're staying ahead of the trends because you're already tasting everything just as a as your standard
1: yeah as your thing it's the same thing with travels I mean when you're traveling all the time you see so many connections in the wine world like someone in the south of Chile might be doing something that someone in the Moselle in Germany is mm-hmm. doing that someone you saw like last year in South Africa do and there's so many connections that you have no idea happen unless you're out there seeing it for yourself Um that is super super exciting and I get a lot of content from just observing what's happening around the world and if you're not out there traveling and you're not out there tasting, you're gonna miss all of that.
0: I feel like your brain now is like one of those little cues that the kids had that when they like from the museum that when you go like this, it expands out <laughs> real quick. It's like Sometimes one, it one like little, it's one, explode, little yeah. one little random tasting that you do in your kitchen. <laughs> it's turned random, into a
1: cosmos. Yeah. I do feel like my brain is going to explode on many days. That 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 is true.
0: That's the true. I feel most days too.
1: But yeah, I you know I, I I love I love all the connections in this world, the wine world. I love that you are like three degrees removed from really any one person. You mm-hmm. can find somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows, has an answer for something. Um, and I think being global... Is yeah, a mm. really, really big part
0: of it. I find it funny how blogs and podcasts, well, we're doing a podcast right now, mm. like blogs and podcasts have like come full circle. Mm. Like blogs were really cool, like in the early 2000s when the internet first started and right. it sort of fell away for a bit. Right. everybody first bloggers. Yeah. And well, now it's all shifted over to social media influences. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, but I think it was like the same thing we were talking about, shitty made wine. Yeah. It's really trendy A lot of people mm-hmm. do It dilutes the pool Especially if you're just like Playing around in the pool And people piss in the pool And then the pool is not very good anymore <laughs> And then so the pool After a period of time Those people go away Because they fall by the wayside yeah. The waters are clear again And the people that were Really making a difference Or really like focusing on their Their skill and their job Stand out mm. And I think you're seeing that With like you say Blogs, with podcasts Natural wine With all sorts of things That trended
0: for me, I'm trying to get like, podcasts and videos easier for me because I'm trying to get back into my writing. I used to write so much, and now mm-hmm. I don't as much, so I'm mm-hmm. trying to bridge bridge a little bit. Like Concentration-wise, it's really difficult for me to write articles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, you're also kind of busy. Even with being back at school and stuff and writing 10,000-word papers and whatnot still just doesn't click for me still. i am going to try and get back in the mind frame of it.
1: Well, some people are born writers, and some people are not. And, I mean, it's, for some people, they have to work at it. Like some people are born speakers, right? No. I'm not a born speaker. <laughs> I can do it, especially no. if it's a geeky topic. I can get up there and just keep talking, but it's not my it's not a core skill.
0: Do you speak a lot at shows and stuff and conferences? Is it becoming more?
1: I do more and more. Yeah.
0: Is and, it like panel discussions or are you up there solo? It's both.
1: Yeah, it's both, and I really do enjoy it. I it wouldn't ever be something I thought I would like to do. Like I'm mm-hmm. very much in the background, um, super geek, but. Uh, when it's a topic that I'm interested in, and um, I'm, I definitely can talk about geeky I just things. Blur. I just blur it. I just can go, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just go. I try to keep my swearing to a minimum. Um, when I'm up on on stage, but uh, yeah, no, I, I do enjoy it, and you meet
0: a lot of people. It still, it still shocks me when you swear. So, even after like even after like, fifteen years, it still shocks. <laughs> it still takes me to the side. Me, it's fine. everybody's like, oh, he's Australian. It's fine.
1: Oh yeah, I'll come come and sit in one of my sessions sometime. <laughs> I'm just passionate, and actually, to me, and aside, like, cuss words, swear words, that's just a part of language, and yeah. you have to be able to use them. Um, wisely that's what I think about any word in language
0: so I'm gonna have to let you go soon because I know you're busy but uh, what's the big thing this year that you're really looking forward to like outside of Austria and stuff like that is there something like a show or a conference or something that like I'm, I'm blown away with this just so you know I'm blown away with this episode already like just how your mind works it's like <laughs> floored me and it's made me wonder if I'm doing certain things the right like a way that I could be better at just by some of the things you've said?
1: Um, what am I looking forward to? You know, just really doing more of what I'm doing now. Um, having Wine Anorak as, as an open platform now is is going to be really great because, again, I have the freedom to write and publish whatever I want to, whenever I want to. And with working with good... You know, we do we do videos together We do like little podcast mm-hmm. sort of things That we're going to expand on It's just using all the different media And communication tools out there So it's more stories I get to mm-hmm. tell um, And I love that I love thinking about um, There's small producers out there And they all have their stories And it's hard to get those messages across And I can affect change in people's lives By just doing what I do And that is why I'm doing it
0: that was amazing. That's a great finish. Thanks. I can't believe this is your first podcast. Yeah, it's, I can talk. It, it's, no, it's <laughs> mind-blowing that it's your first podcast because I, I see you as, for me, I think maybe that's just our relationship. I think you've always been so absolutely influential in my life when it came to wine like I literally there's times like especially when I was in Singapore writing that list and when I do PAGS lists and stuff there's a lot of times I'm like what would Tree think about this exactly like (laughs) what would would Tree think about this this wine choice for the menu and and you and you you, both you and Sharon like I got lucky enough to spend a week in New Orleans with Sharon Mm -hmm. a couple years ago Mm and like just the the pure influence that you two have had on my wine knowledge and things like for what I charge a premium to do for people now is basically all up because of you guys
1: yay <laughs> yeah. pay it forward
0: <laughs> oh thanks Trevi thanks so thanks post shifters i hope you enjoyed that episode uh if you're listening whatever platform you're on give me a good rating subscribe listen along uh, i'm gonna keep going i really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from what they did and how they got to where they were so if you love it give me a good five stars if you don't give me one and i'll try harder